John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, it's going to be interesting when we start taking phone calls at 1030 because uh, naturally there's going to be panic because the Seahawks lost their first game, 37-34. to 34. The pass rush was non-existent. Uh, certainly had the three turnovers with uh, Russell Wilson throwing three interceptions was so different. And so, Curtis, how do you anticipate, Curtis Rogers, how do you anticipate uh, the fans are going to be, uh, the, the Seahawks, losing a game that they should have won? I think there's going to be some hand-wringing, John. I yeah. think there's going to be some of that, but they're 5-1. I yeah. think th- that should not be lost on what is what went down last night. Five and one is an incredible start for any team in the NFL, but six and zero was well within their grasp. I think we're going to hear some some belly aching from the fans today. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. But let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one, there's the snap, there's the kick, it's away, and this time the kick is oh, he just sneaks it in the left upright, and Arizona wins in overtime. Well, and of course it was 37-34 and it was just a crazy game. I mean, overtime against an Arizona Cardinal team that Kyler Murray uh, was kind of bottled up in the first half. Defense was stopping the run. What the, you know, running backs, I mean, Kenyon Drake only had like 10 yards rushing in the first half. And the Seahawks, as usual, builds a double-digit lead. But that Arizona started to get some confidence in the second half, mainly because there was no pressure. One of the 48 dropbacks that uh, were there by Kyler Murray, there was no, no quarterback hits. None. And so uh, you can see that that's got to be a big issue. And now puts John Snyder probably in the phone call mood to start to call around to see, hey, is there anything they can do to add to a pass rush? I know Pete Carroll talked a little bit earlier uh, and just in the last segment about, uh, you know, Daryl Taylor's not going to be necessarily ready uh, maybe in the next week or so. There's no, no timetable on him. You know, Alton Robinson, I think, only had like seven plays. And so, uh, you know, I thought Benson Mayoa continued to do some good things. But, of course, that one play on the field goal, were, which would have you know, pretty well iced everything and knocked everything in so that the Seahawks would have won in regulation when he kind of leaped the uh, blocker and then got the two penalties, including the personal foul for 15 yards that set up the Cardinals at the 19-yard line, that boom, there it was. And then, of course, it was just crazy back and forth. And so now who's to blame? I mean, I think, again, you have to look at the defense and have to look very critically. I thought that Quentin Dunbar uh, covered pretty well. Uh, it's unfortunate that Shaquille Griffin ended up getting a con- concussion and knocked out of the game. You know, they were having trouble stopping the run in the second half, but the big thing is the chunk plays that uh, eventually came up in the passing game. And so, uh, you know, that's that's not good. And so in the end, I think it's just a matter that, you know, they've got to fix some things up and fix them fast because you knew this was going to happen at some point. At some point, this was going to catch up to you, that uh, you, know, you can't just keep doing the, uh, you know, trying to just outscore everybody. And this finally did. And again, really a game that, uh, you know, still could have been won. I mean, for example, Russell Wilson had the game-winning play. I mean, he hit DK Metcalf uh, late in overtime down the left sidelines, and uh, you know, got the ball to him. But then, in a, a, a correct call, uh, you know, David Moore ends up getting a holding call, the only holding call on the team in this uh, game, and that, of course, canceled the touchdown and uh, put the team in a position where Russell Wilson then throws an interception to Isaiah Simmons, the eighth pick in the draft who was only on the field for five plays after they said last week he was going to play more. So that was just 
crazy. So all those things kind of go in there. And now it's a matter, it's like, okay, uh, what's going to happen with that pass rush? Because again, you can't give Kyler Murray that amount of time and uh, lack of hits to be able to do it. Sure, he's going to get hit when he runs the football, but again, they have to do better. And so the Cardinals right now, certainly one of the most improved teams in football, they are 5-2. and two. The Rams play tonight. If they can beat Chicago, they're 5-2. and two. And then the 49ers come back and they get the victory. And so they're they're now 4-3. and three. So what we're going to do is we're going to take your phone calls at 1030 and see what your thoughts are and I'm sure there's going to be some panic out there but again five and one's the record in a game that should have been won number two Jeff Wilson Jr. runs around the outside and he dives in the end zone for his third rushing touchdown of the game let me hear you touchdown San Francisco well, the 49ers just absolutely go to New England and blow out the Patriots 33-6. to And how they did that is just absolutely amazing because of all the injuries that they had. I mean, you know, to top off the fact that they didn't have Richard Sherman, you know, to top off the fact that, uh, you know, their starting center, Weston Richburg, is on, inj- on the injured list. Uh, they had uh, so many different things going on with other injuries that it was still pretty bad. And then, of course, during the course of the game, Debo Samuel gets a hamstring injury. You know, they at running back, I mean, uh, Raheem Motzer had to go on the injured reserve list last week. So he's out for three weeks. And so they go to an unknown named Jeff Wilson. And Jeff Wilson has one of the three best running days of the uh, of the day. Uh, and so that looked pretty good. And then, of course, he gets a high ankle sprain. He becomes, I think, the fourth or fifth player on the uh, 49ers to get a high ankle sprain like that. And so now they got a lot of questions as they start to come to town for this game, a key game coming up because, you know, which was now supposed to be the tough part of the schedule and is, you know, all of a sudden the 49ers have beaten the Rams, you know, they've beaten the Patriots, and right now they've climbed their way back into the race to a point now where all four teams in the NFC East or NFC West are competing for playoff spots. But it's going to be a tough game tonight because, you know, the Bears do have a good defense, but they also have the sixth uh, lowest scoring offense in football, uh, and, you know, that's not encouraging, and so that's going to go. So right now all four teams in the NFC West with winning records, certainly the best of division in football, particularly if you look at the AFC North, which may have three playoff teams because Cleveland won in an amazing fashion yesterday. Uh, Cincinnati, of course, still one of the worst teams in football. So that's it. The 49ers get the blowout win and boy, do the Patriots look terrible. I mean, slow at wide receiver. Cam Newton got benched and looks awful. And instead of being a team competing for the uh, division title and they play Buffalo next week, you know, you got a Patriot team right now that could be drafting in the top 10. Number three. It's an insurance policy. Um, you know, when we don't have Mike and we don't have Chris, why not have another Pro Bowl player, caliber player, that's available that fits our cap and fits everything else? Uh, so why not? It's, it's uh, it, it, We have good players. You can't have enough of them. Seth Bruce Arians talking about the one-year signing of Antonio Brown and what it looks to be is a one-year deal at uh, you know one oh five oh on one million fifty thousand uh, dollars. We'll see if it has the uh, minimum salary benefits. There's incentives there that can take it maybe to two point five million. We'll see about that. But you know now they got and again you t- you talk about the difference between the Patriots and the Buccaneers. You know the Patriots are starving themselves because they got slow wide receivers and Keneal Harry is not doing well at the form- their former first round pick. He's struggling. You know uh, Julian Edelman looks a little slower. They 
They look like they have no athletic speed. And believe it or not, they only have seven catches. Believe it, seven catches at the tight end position. I mean, it's worse than last year. And so you've got those problems. In the meantime, what do you see uh, Tampa Bay doing? You know, Leonard Fournette's available. They grab him. You know, they got, uh, you know, LaShawn McCoy. They grab him. Now they got Antonio Brown. And here's a 5-2 and two Bucks team that now is right in the mix for the chance to maybe get a... Uh, you know, a, t- a top number one, number two seed, and they're only getting better. Tom Brady right now is, you know, doing a good job, and the defense blitzing, create all kind of stuff like that. They absolutely dominated the Las Vegas Raiders. Number four. I don't want this to turn to a narrative where we're going to say that this team is better without OBJ. I, I think it's too it, late. It, it, but it's not like that. I, I, that I, I respect all, what that Mike that says. Narrative is already out there, Jay. I know, but th- this is not. I don't think it pertains to this particular case at all. Baker Mayfield just went off. I mean, he he went off. He had an out-of-body experience. I mean, damn, kid, the guy completed 22 of his final 23 attempts for 297 yards and three TDs. He played out of his mind. It's not because OBJ was off the field. Baker just stepped up his level of performance. Well, it's got to be a devastating situation right now. Cleveland did win, so they're now, what, 5-2, and two, and they're in good shape. And what a bad start for Baker Mayfield. He went 0-5, he threw an interception, and on that play, OBJ, uh, Beckham Jr., ends up getting a ACL injury that's going to knock him out for the rest of the season and paralyze the team in next year's cap because, you know, it's what, uh, guarantee, you got an injury guarantee on the base salary, and now because he's not going to be cleared with the physical by March, they're on the hooks for that guarantee for next year. So, if anything, all they can do is trade him. They can't cut him from that $18 million a year deal. So that's <clears throat> that's paralyzing. And then, uh, I mean, you look at the fact that, uh, you know, the Browns, uh, you know, they're going to be a possible wild card team. Uh, but, you know, after that, Baker Mayfield was sensational. 22 of 23, almost 300 yards, the three touchdowns that Jay Williams and him talked about. And so now it was a 37-34 victory. And you get Baker Mayfield credit because not only do you have that high completion percentage, but in the end, when people thought they should go for the field goal, he wanted to go for the touchdown and try to win the game. And sure enough, that did work out. So now at 5-2, and two, the Browns are cooking. Number 5. 3-2, and Muncie gets a hold of one and drills a ball to deep right center field and gone. Muncie crushes it. And it is 4-2 Dodgers. So it was final, and now it looks like uh, it's getting close to Dodgers clinching because now they got two wins in a row over the weekend and have a chance to clinch on Tuesday. Uh, they bounced back from a Game 4 loss, 3-2, to two, uh, and, but now they take on, and so Clayton Kershaw goes and pitches well, five and two-thirds innings, two runs, struck out six. He's now 2-0 and oh in the World Series, and the Dodgers did jump out to a 3 nothing lead on Sunday, moving it pretty well. So now Game 6 is going to be Tuesday night. It's going to be at 5 o'clock, and you can hear the full game on 7 710 ESPN Seattle. Hey, you can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Oh, we're going to further review and hear what Pete Carroll had to say about Russell Wilson's three interceptions. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, certainly uh, everything was under review after a 37 to 34 loss to uh, Arizona 
And of course, uh, you know, I guess the one thing that I'm still kind of wondering about is that, uh, you know, the two downsides, obviously, the biggest one is a lack of a pass rush. And, you know, what, no sacks, uh, no hits on the quarterback on 48 dropbacks. That, that can't happen. That has to improve. And uh, certainly what it does, you know, it puts Russ, Russell Wilson in a position where he has to try to throw the ball a little bit more, try to let the Russ cook. But, you know, one thing I know in the Russ cook formula, I think I was just looking at the numbers right now. Can you believe that uh, at this moment, you know, the Seahawks, which wants to have a balanced running attack, only has 38.5 percent uh, running compared to 61.5 passing. And that's so different from Seahawks teams. And, of course, you can't complain about it because the Seahawks still have one of the best offenses in football and have the ability to uh, just outscore teams. I mean, they put 34 points on an Arizona team that was ranked in the top five for defense, and so that's pretty respectable. But the problem is the more you pass, the more chances you have for interceptions. And so, consequently, you know, Russell Wilson, who had, I think, what, seven interceptions last year, he now has six for the season after throwing three. And I know that... uh, Pete Carroll was on uh, the show with Danny and Gallant, as he is every Monday at 930, talking about the interceptions and how, you know, you got to win the turnover battle. And those interceptions did not help them because they lost the turnover battle. Can you walk us through Russell's three interceptions after taking a look at the film? What happened on those plays? Yeah, um, (laughs) I'm going to walk you through them. But, uh, um, you know, he he laid the ball up in the corner of the end zone uh, to uh, in the flat on a play that you know he we had thrown all week long we've been throwing you know it's a, it's a throw he lobs over the top on you know, on the the edge pressure and uh and he just couldn't imagine you know anybody getting in the way of it so he or he wouldn't have thrown it so and it was a great play by by Baker Baker had the back man for man and he he felt the bunch and ran over the top and and went for it and all of a sudden the ball showed up right, right in his hands you know um you know, so that's that's one that kind of you know they were fortunate on. That happens sometimes. Uh, the one when Russ is kind of half throwing the ball away, you know, to DK, giving him a jump ball opportunity, and I didn't ask Russ if he was trying to put the ball out of bounds. Um, you know, that's that's an unfortunate situation, you know, and, and uh, just didn't gauge it quite right. And then the last one, uh, you know, he saw something in the pressure coming. There was a, there was spacing in there that he could stick the football in on a route, but the guys weren't ready for the ball coming right there. So that, that decision was when Russ saw something, he wanted to try to make something happen, and and it just it just goes awry, you know. So um, usually when when we make big mistakes in, in in our play, you know, it's because we're trying more than we should, you know, and we try to make something happen where we shouldn't. And then that's a little bit of what happened on on that one, you know. Uh, maybe even the one where he you know throws the ball up to uh, to Peterson in the corner of the end zone, he could have just put the ball out of bounds easily, and we go to the next play. So uh, you know, the very difficult, very un, unlikely things to happen. You know, Russ, we're not talking about just this season. Russ doesn't do. Russ hasn't thrown balls like that uh, throughout his career. You can you can barely remember opportunities or times when that's happened. So um, that's not something that's you know it's we should be worrying that oh gosh he's you know he's caught this interception bug. He's not going to do that. So um, it was unfortunate in that game it made a difference. Yeah, and of course, uh, that was a the big difference is the turnovers. And again, it was so strange because certainly the one turnover to Buda Baker, you know, set up one of the most amazing plays of the season where DK Metcalf ran all the way downfield on a 90-yard return by Buda Baker and stopped him before he got in the end zone. Just an incredible play, but also there was a scoring play. And, I, and the fact that, and you know, this is a problem that Philip Rivers has developed over the last two years, and Russell has to kind of fix that up. 
up is at uh, you know not throwing the red zone interceptions. I know the Cardinals are a good red zone team, but uh, you got to stop those interceptions because again, and that's the one downside I think when you start talking about the let Russ cook idea. And I, that was the fear that I did have is that the more you have uh, Russell pass as good as he is, as great as he is in taking care of the football, the more you pass, the more things can go wrong. And right now. Looking at the numbers, Curtis, is that uh, you know this team is uh, getting 38.5 running percent per, per game and 61.5 passing a game. And that's so different from the 50-50 that Pete Carroll would like. And you wonder, you know, what adjustments can be made. Now, obviously, what you want to try to do is adjust to the opponent. And because they are letting Russ cook on early downs and throwing on first and second down and all that stuff, is that it gives him the ability to, you know, get the lead, which worked yesterday because, what, they had a 14-point lead. But uh, then, you know, the defense has to hold. But uh, I don't know. It's a little bit of a question mark right now. But you can't have the interceptions and the turnovers especially at that part of the field john especially in the red zone you're going in for a touchdown both of those uh scores if they had happened in seattle's favor would have put them up two scores uh i think the second of the three interceptions may have been one of the or well i mean obviously the final interception was kind of the final nail in the coffin for seattle's hopes yesterday but the second one would have put them up you know two scores you know, at the start of the fourth quarter, uh, would have been a much more enviable spot to be in because then they get the ball back and, and they they do score a touchdown later on in the quarter. So maybe that turned out to be the difference of the game. Uh, but John, when you mentioned that sort of sixty forty or sixty two thirty eight split, the Seattle passing game and running game right now, you think teams are starting to key in on Seattle's passing game a little bit? I mean, the Cardinals do have. I would say the best secondary of any team that they've faced so far this season. So obviously it was going to be a little more uh, touch and go, a little more dangerous putting the ball up there as much as they did last night, 50 pass attempts from Russell Wilson. Uh, but do you think teams going forward are now going to you know drop back into coverage a lot more against the Seahawks, maybe not give them anything over the top? Because we've seen DK Metcalf uh, throughout this season, when he gets a one-on-one situation, he's going to go long. And, and yesterday we didn't see hardly any of that from him. It was mostly Tyler Lockett who was mm-hmm. getting those mm-hmm. go balls. Do you think teams are, are now starting to game plan correctly against the Seahawks? Uh, to its certain degree but not to a big degree and the reason i say that is that uh, you you watched minnesota in the first half uh, and what they did is that they pretty much did you know a two deep zone and had five guys underneath, and that kind of limited the ability for anybody to go deep into play action. Well, Vance Joseph isn't that way. You know, it's not, he doesn't do it the way Mike Zimmer does. And so what he does, he loves playing man. And I know from the very start of the game, <clears throat> you can see what the strategy was. <clears throat> They're playing man, which is one of the worst things that you can do against Russell Wilson because that gives Russell Wilson the ability to roll out and if he sees some things then he can run and of course he led the team in rushing yesterday and did you know a couple really long runs and so that uh, plays to his benefit they made some adjustments as the game went on but uh, but and at, at the end it was all blitz 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 but you know in the case of Buda Baker I mean Buda Baker is just like Jamal Adams he puts himself in 
position to make plays. And even though both are not interception guys, I mean, he just stepped in on that play, the little throw out to the, uh, you know, the out, to, to out there, and it's like, boom, he picked it off and then just ran. I mean, the one that was the, the one I think it was the worst mistake was the one that Isaiah Simmons, who's only on the field for five plays, had, and that was in the overtime. And so, uh, you know, those things happen. But again, the more you pass, the more you put yourself at risk for that. And so I think they have to do some rethinking of that. And you, you go back, it's like one of the, you know, Vance Joseph, I remember in that first game when he was the head coach of Denver, you know, that was one where they passed more than they ran and, uh, you know, they suffered the consequences and had some had some picks and mistakes like that. So uh, it, it's just an adjustment type of game. But, you know, in the end, I mean, you know, Russell did get plays to win the game, particularly that pass to DK Metcalf. And what was happening with Metcalf, he was going against one of the best cornerbacks in football. And so, you know, that was man. And of course, you had lesser cornerbacks that were able to cover the uh, Tyler Lockett and he has the 15 catches. Yeah, Tyler Lockett was amazing yesterday. Maybe the the best overall game a Seahawks receiver has ever had, uh, or at least since Steve Largent back in '87 when he set the uh, receptions record uh, for a single game for the for the Seahawks. Uh, just you look at what the Seahawks offense did, John. Quickly before we go to break here, Chris Carson injured in the game. Do you think if he was healthy throughout, the outcome might have been a little different, especially that last game or that last play where Car- where Carlos Hyde gets mm-hmm. stopped short of the first down marker? If Seattle gets that, they could ice the game right there. Yeah, because I mean, what you there, I can't. I don't even have to think through it to see how many plays there were, but there's probably like six, seven plays that could have clinched the game. It was like that type of a game, and so uh, yeah. But I think Chris Carson would have battled through. You know, Carlos Hyde did well, but you know they did come up and they blitzed and they stopped and they you know were able to contain that but in the end it was still just a matter that's like okay it's tough to see uh you know what's going on you know at, with the running game but yeah i think chris carson would have been able to do that and you notice once the cardinals lost their second defensive end and were down to four and of course they have a three-man line they started to run the ball more it was just that the blitzes kind of held things back and did it but overall hey it's a loss <clears throat> and it's time to see how the fans think about this how angry are people going to be? Let us know. Give us a call at 866-979-3776, 206-421-3776. And in the meantime, you can tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, your phone calls, 866-979-3776, 206-421 ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Okay, plenty of reaction right now, so let's get your thoughts. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Jason in Richland. Hey, Jason. Hey, Professor. I uh, have a question for you. Yeah. When it comes to our defensive play calling, which I think is horrendous right now, I do not think Ken Norton is the answer. He hasn't been the answer. He's produced Pete Carroll's worst uh, defenses, in my opinion. But when we're playing, when it's third and four and we're on defense, why do our cornerbacks play 10 to 12 yards off the line of scrimmage? I don't get that. I understand not giving up the big plays, but it's an easy five and out or seven and yeah. out. 
Can you answer that for me? Well, because, I mean, they're playing a little bit more zone as opposed to the man. And I guess, you know, that goes back even to last year because, you know, they did that with the idea that they wanted to keep the play in front of them because they were worried about the pass rush. And, of course, uh, you can see yesterday, I was just looking at this stat, is that uh, it's the first time since 2014 you had a defense that had 48 dropbacks and no quarterback hits. You have to go back to 2014 with the Indianapolis Colts when they had 49 and no quarterback hits. And so, again, I think they're operating as if they don't have the uh, pass rush. And to get the pass rush, they have to get the blitz going. And it just didn't work. And so not having Jamal Adams takes a big force out of that. And so, you know, I think that, you know, what it, it still comes down to, they're still struggling to figure out what they are. I mean, you can look at teams like, you know, Philadelphia trying to figure out what their identity is on offense or the New York Jets trying to say what identity they are. But I mean, the identity of this defense has not been defined and it's more negative than positive. Can I ask one more question? Of course. When, when, when Arizona came out in the second half and were blitzing a lot more, where was the, where was the screen passes that that was never done to Austin? And the one wide receiver screen pass we throw DK houses it. If we don't more, if more doesn't hold. Why wasn't that in the play calling? Well, part of it was that uh, you know Chris Carson, who does so well on that now, uh, was out because he got hurt after five carries and a couple of screen passes, uh, and you know had the midfoot sprain that they're trying to evaluate today. You know that's not the strength of Carlos Hyde. Carlos is more of the uh, you know the inside runner, you know the power runner up the middle, and then you know you had uh, you know uh, DJ Dallas, and you know couple times when he was out there you know he didn't get the screen pass and you know because you know, again this is he's a rookie trying to get in there and he had a couple times where his, even though he's got a great reputation in college from being able to protect the quarterback to, he did, just didn't get the job done as far as pass protection and so that got Russell Wilson hit a couple times so it just kind of took things out and so it kind of left a kind of a one-trick pony for uh, you know basically Wilson throwing the ball to try to get it to uh, Tyler Lockett hey Jason thank you for the phone call 866-979-ESPN 206-421-ESPN let's go to Diane in Maple Valley hi I still love your program oh, thank you call her in appreciate that. I am totally not panicked I think that the, the offense has looked excellent every game, and I don't think, you know, three interceptions should get us distracted from all the great plays that they made. Uh, my, I just appreciate you focusing on the defense. The defense, we could have lost any of the previous games with one play. I'm kind of mm-hmm. glad we did lose because now we're actually focusing on what we need to focus on. You, 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 you know who you sound like? Aaron Rodgers after that 38 to 10 blowout by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because he basically said the same thing that he says yeah he basically said hey I think this could be a good because it gets us to focus a little bit more and then you saw yesterday you know they came in and you know smoked a bad Houston Texans team 35 20 but it's exactly what Aaron Rodgers said you know on you know different because again Packers have the same problem as as Seattle they can't stop anybody on defense. Exactly, and we keep rushing over that. I see the interviews with the defensive players after they have nearly lost it every game. I mean, we're putting up 34 points. We should win. Oh, yeah. We, we, it, they're playing excellent. We just need a defense that will show up, or we aren't going to make it against the big teams here. No, you're, you're right now, because, again, I think the thought is is that uh, can you sustain this? And I thought the way this year was going, because, again, you look at Tennessee, they're having the same issues. 
uh, you know, and mo- a lot of the other teams are doing it. But again, it's in a game like this yesterday, it didn't get better. It got worse. 48 right. dropbacks and no quarterback hits. You can't have that. That's why I think that uh, they got to start getting a defensive end maybe in a trade. I agree. If Metcalf had made that final win, the conversation today would be, oh, we just pull it out. We pull it out every time. And, you know, it's you can't just sustain yourself believing you're going to always be able to pull it off in the last play. Mm-hmm. So it, as unfortunate as it is, we're still 5-1. and one. We can still do this if they can use it as a teachable moment, which we know our team will do and Pete will do. So I was kind of actually not panicked at all but more just happy that it will give a real chance for them to have a reality talk. Yeah. I mean, the tough part is it's like you don't want to lose division games because you want to come out of this at the very worst of four and two. Uh, But, you know, they can still do it. Now you've got Jimmy Garoppolo coming up here on a two-game winning streak, but he's not real mobile, so you have a chance to do it against him. But, hey, you're right. I mean, hey, the team. let's put it this way. This team has never had a 5-0 and start until this year. So you have the ability, and you weren't going to win 16 games. So there's going to exactly. be some losses in the way, and this was a road game and all that stuff. But, uh, hey, they just have to deal with it. Diane, thank you so much. Let us go next to Tom in uh, Yakima. Hey, Tom. Hey, John. Hey, I'm surprised you didn't mention this last week. I know you talk about the schedule quite a bit, but after week six, the Seahawks had the easiest schedule to that point in the entire NFL. Um, the best team they beat is maybe Miami, and they just replaced their quarterback. Uh, they beat New England, just got crushed by 49ers, missing about eight starters. Dallas, Minnesota, Atlanta are terrible. Maybe the Seahawks aren't as good as we thought they are. Well, but also, the and that that's where the things shift so, so much, is that uh, you look at that and look at the quarterbacks they faced. You know, Miami, they're 3-3, three and three, but that's also a byproduct of uh, games against easier teams, you know, playing the Jets and things like that. And, you know, they caught San Francisco at the right time because, you know, they had, uh, you know, they were able to get Jimmy Garoppolo with a high ankle sprain, and so they went in there and blew them out. But, I mean, you, you look at the record, but really, and again, Dallas is terrible. I mean, that's now the third worst team in football. Football. And Minnesota, you know, they're they're already out of it and already traded Unique and Dockway. But remember, all four of those five teams, with the exception of maybe Kirkpatrick, is uh, they have quarterbacks, and so because of that, they will have the ability to t- put up numbers. And again, this I mean, this team has been able to get double digit leads in all but what about one game? And uh, now yeah, this was the first bad teams. Yeah, we yeah. played nothing but bad teams. Well, but that's the and I same. realize we got the, one of the top six easiest schedules from here on out. That's all that's going to save us. That's not going to save us in the playoffs. No, you're there right. There are no bad teams in the playoffs, except for maybe, maybe an NFC East team. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to play them. Nope, I mean, Easy schedule is not going to save us in the playoffs. No, I mean, it's a, and that's why they have time to be able to fix it up. But they've got to do something to fix it up. Because right now, this, this, this exposed a lot. That's why they need to really make some kind of a trade. Hey, Tom, thank you. 866 ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Curtis, what do we have? Yeah, John, let's go back out to Richland. Colton, you are on with the professor. Hey, John, I got a question for you. I'm kind of piggybacking off of Jason earlier, but um, when do you think there's kind of going to be a fine line where enough is enough with Ken Norton and they go to a different uh, a coaching change? I think that would be after the season. I think there's uh, you know too much respect in the locker room for Ken 
uh, because again, remember, you know, he raised the two big leaders on the team, you know, Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright on defense. And, you know, to, to make that kind of a move during the season, that could be tough. But again, what I look at it is almost like the Tom Cable situation where, you know, they evaluated it, they looked at it, and then after the season, they decided to make the change and go to Mike Solari. So I don't think you'll see it during the season. I think they'll stay loyal to Ken. But after the season, that has to be evaluated. Yeah, I agree. Mike, um, probably another question that, do you think kind of some of the defensive struggles right now are more of a scheme versus personnel? I think it's personnel. I mean, because again, it's like, okay, now I like the way Benson Mayo has been playing. Certainly, you can see real good things from Puna Ford and Jaron Reed. You know, LJ Collier has to step up, and, you know, he stepped up a little bit earlier, but he's been kind of invisible the last few weeks. And then, of course, all the other guys in the rotation just haven't been able to be visible. And so, uh, you know, that uh, I think it's a personnel thing again. And that, and that happens in a, not even just a year like this, but any year is like uh, you saw it last year, even though they had Jadevian Clowney, Ziggy Ansah didn't work out. And then you look at the uh, you look at you know New England with the lack of wide receiver help and tight end help. You know, that played against them. You saw different things as far as, you know, where, where you're missing some pieces. But right now, the missing piece is that pass rusher who can at least, you know, get to the quarterback a little more consistently. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, another quick question: Could you see if they did go with a um, with the change in coaching that maybe say they put Ken Norton back to coaching linebackers? Oh yeah, but then who's going to be the defensive coordinator? Dan Quinn would be my answer. Well, but uh, if you're Dan Quinn. Uh, think that what you do particularly with a guaranteed contract you want to take take the rest of this season take some time off and just try to uh you know be with family and all that and not take the pressure because he took the pressure and got fired you know after five games and so uh you know i i think that you know it may be an option for the future but i don't think it's an option right now yeah, I agree. Hey, thanks, Professor. All right, thank you. Do we have time for another one, Curtis? John, we've got so many people trying to get on the air. Yeah. I think we should continue with this in our next segment. That so, sounds good. Yeah, let's, uh, if you've got something to say, dial us up yeah. here. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, your phone calls, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton, powered through the Alaska Airline Studios, on demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Taking your phone calls at 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Spencer in North Carolina. Hey, Spencer. Hey, John. How's it going? Good. How are you? Pretty good. So my few questions relating to the defense. So with Harrison coming back and, you know, with Jamal Adams coming back, do you think that would be enough for pressure-wise for defense to be stopping the run to bring in? Adams on the spy and just bringing pressure overall? Well, I mean, Adams, and of course, I know Pete Carroll talked about this. He's still not sure if he's going to be there this week. But, I mean, he's such a key because, you know, what you saw in Buda Baker on Sunday, he was just about everywhere, is what you see in Jamal Adams. And so you need that type of playmaker to really help things out. And even though Ryan Neal has done a very good job of filling in, he's not Jamal Adams. So that'll help. In Snacks Harrison, that's going to give a little bit more depth on the run stopping because, you know, at the moment, even 
know, they got Brian Monet doing some decent things. You know, they still have like 70-some percent on the field with uh, Puna Ford and also Jaron Reed. So it just adds to the rotation and adds a really good football player. I did think that Jordan Brooks moved a while and showed some good things yesterday coming back from his injury because he's got so right. much speed and playmaking ability. But in the end, I think it's just now you've got to try to, you know, see if you can hunker down and, uh, you know, get something going. But again, it's the edges right now that need to get better because again, exactly. you can't have 48 dropbacks and no quarterback hits and no sacks. Right. And, so, and with, with the edge issue, you know, Carol, Pete Carroll this morning didn't really address that as a big issue. He's just, you know, making plays and, you know, turnover ratio. But I think going and getting somebody like Kerrigan from Washington, Washington would be the key. And I think that would make a huge difference going forward. What do you think? Well, I mean, but he, but here's the thing. I'm, and I've, been, I've been struggling this all weekend is that with this trade deadline and really – uh, I think Mike Florio of NBC nailed it last night, last this over the weekend, when he was basically saying that, hey, you need to make trades by Wednesday or Thursday because of the six-day protocol to get them through COVIDs. I mean, you know, anything you pick up this week is not going to play this week. And so you're doing it more for week nine. You're doing it more for the Buffalo game, but they need to do something. And uh, you know whether it, what do you and, think the odds are. And, and but see, here, here's here's the thing I'm struggling with. If you're an NFC East team like the Redskins, right? Right. Yeah. Do you trade somebody knowing that you can win the division, maybe with five wins? Yeah, it's, it's, it seems unfair. Yeah, I mean, it's unfair, but it's reality right now that right, I don't exactly. know if you're going to see any trades coming from the NFC. So now what you're looking at is that Atlanta seems reluctant to do anything. Cincinnati's all reluctant to do anything, even though they have guys like John Ross and Carlos Dunlap uh, that could be could be moved. But and then so now the teams you look at are Houston, the New York Jets, and what the heck do the Jets have? They don't have too much. I mean, you look at Minnesota; they've already given away their pass rushers, and so you start to run out of teams that are going to be you know the the losers who are already out of it that can be giving up stuff. Exactly, and, and with that issue, I mean, what if you know we don't get anybody? Is Ken Dorn just gonna have to dial up some crazy random blitzes to get our team going? Well, he's been point. doing it now for almost a year and a half, so it's like, uh, I guess it's I mean, the new norm. I mean, yeah, I just think I just think that we just I mean, we made the mistake of not really blitzing enough and not doing enough in this game. I think we just I think we just didn't cause enough havoc. And going forward against we play Murray in the Thursday night game, you know, right before Thanksgiving and. Something's got to change, you know. Hopefully, that we'll get something going. Because if not, we're it's going to be the same thing all over. Yeah, you're right. I mean, something has to happen. Spencer, thank you for the phone call. Let's go to Carol in Lake Stevens. Hey, Carol. Hey, hey, John. Thanks for taking my call. Love your show. And I, one of my observations is that I noticed that what the Seahawks do is that when they get down to like about oh maybe the five yard line right by the goal. They tend to pass the ball, and it's like, why? What would be the reason they could just maybe run two plays and then try to get in? Because even the, I, I mean, I'm not sure when the announcers made it on the show, but they said something like, "Oh, here, the Seahawks won't ever forget that Super Bowl throw mm-hmm. or whatever it was." But so it just, and that's when the, they threw it, and then uh, Arizona got the interception. So it's like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think that, uh, you know, you, you want to try, again, because you know people are going to be trying to stack the run, but again, you know, you can see that this offensive line is better and can win some of the battles. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I tend to, because again, when I saw that play, I was like, eh, 
eh, not too good. I mean, you know, and like you know, you know, even some of the the passes in the back of the end zone that were incomplete but close to Will Disley. And that's the thing that's so strange because Russell was so good this year. Is that I mean, you've seen yeah. all these plays where it's called like for example, you know, the Greg Olson should have it was almost a touchdown, but he did get one little inch yeah. of a foot out of bounds. And so then you know the two plays in the back of the end zone to Disley uh, that just uh, just kind of missed. And so it's like yeah, I tend to think that you know in this case they probably in the red zone as although, although again they in Arizona are two of the best red zone teams in football but you can't have what is it now three of the six interceptions have been red zone interceptions yeah 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 hey well thanks for taking my call I really okay. appreciate it and okay. all my best hey Carol thank you let's go to Sean in Renton hey Sean hey John how's it going good how are you hey I'm good I mean I, I'm hearing a lot of the folks saying that they're real nervous with what's going on with the Seahawks, as I am, right? But I think the thing I'd, I'd like to say is, how about DK Metcalf's play there, right? Have you seen a more inspiring play in your in your life ever for a hustle play? No, it's one of the best plays I've seen. I think that's what Russell Wilson said, and I, I agree because you know it's it's one of those plays that should win an ESPY for just the effort that he showed, and you know it did show. It's like okay, it's one thing to have four three three speed, but also to show the dedication to be able to do it and to be able to run that fast and that hard and make the tackle and basically. And I love the fact that Buda Baker uh, kind of. What is it? He says, well, I got hawked on that one, which, of course, I think it was a great one to say because you can see that the, there's a great respect that has to be there for DK Metcalf. But that was just an incredible play. And then to top it off, then the, uh, you know, the Seahawks were able to go ahead and stop and not allow a touchdown or a field goal. Yeah, I think for I think for those of us who have kids who are teaching our kids how to act and how to play and be athletes. I mean, that's a play that you show your kid every year. And mm-hmm. this is why you don't give up, you know, the swing in that, the swing that that had, and this is going to lead me to my segue here, the swing that that had emotionally for the guys on the field. I mean, at home, right? We were freaking out, jumping up and down. It was awesome. But you see that, here's my problem that I see with the Seahawks and Ken Norton defense. You see that energy, and that's Russ and Pete, right, especially on offense. You see the guys, and they look like they're on fire, right? They're mm-hmm. cooking out there. They're, they're feeling it. They're bumping. You're seeing the energy. I do not see that on defense, and I think Norton needs to go, to be honest with you. I think that hurts to say, yeah, we're 5-1, and one, but, you know, one of the guys earlier said, you know, we've lost. We've won to some questionable teams, but, I mean, we stopped Cam Newton – short there at the end of that game i mean there's a lot of games we could have lost and i think you got to blame it on norton you know everybody mm, they also i think they blame some... it on the talent i mean the talent of the defensive line they need better better plays what by do the... you do to change that right what's that God, what have... do you think you do to change that add i mean more, who do you add who somebody do you bring in that's going to get some lighter yeah like a Matthews, do you think like a Clay Matthews would be a good a good choice? I think that would that help. Guy. Yeah, Clay Matthews. I, I'd even go for the old school like uh, Terrell Suggs, somebody like that. But just somebody oh, who yeah. can help to you know, just somebody that can come in and help. Hey, I thought our secondary was going to be the strength of the team, and that's probably my biggest frustration. I think with Norton, I mean, we've got all these heavy hitters back there and great ball hawks, mm-hmm. right? And you're not seeing it out of these guys. Well, I mean, you saw you, you saw Diggs make an interception. You also saw the, uh, I thought that 
Dunbar did some decent things, you know, particularly you know going against uh, uh, Hopkins, who's really good. Hey, thank you for the phone call, and thank everybody for the phone calls. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Brady Henderson of ESPN.com. This is the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.